Well, hey, and welcome to another episode of the Becoming Better podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Prismer, and we are so glad that you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we talk a ton about how to know what gifts of the Spirit you've been given, how and when they should be used in the local church expression. And then we talk a ton about the purpose and place of the gift of speaking in tongues specifically. Paul has a lot to say about that one, so we want to make sure we're as clear as we can be from the text. As always, if you ever have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, we hope you join us at quadcity.church slash podcast, where you could submit your questions, just like many of the questions we answer today, right there on the website so that we can answer them in our discussions. And like I mentioned, we've got a ton of questions today, so buckle up and enjoy this episode. Hey guys, good morning. Happy Monday. What's up guys? Welcome. Welcome Thanksgiving week. Yeah, it feels cold. It's great. It's fall. Yeah. Shit. It's going to be awesome. Not great. Not great, but it's fine. Warm's great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now you're going to make me. Nope. Get on my soapbox. No. Soapbox. It's fine. You, you grew up in the valley, like Brendan and I. The warm is also fall. Yeah. Here's what I. Uh, 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 <laughs> no. It doesn't count. Your, your experience and mine is different. Josh and I have memories of getting Christmas gifts and being able to actually go outside and use them. Listen. Like that's the thing. Listen. Yeah. I keep telling people uh, every Sunday, I say this at least to somebody. That when they come in and they're griping about the cold, complaining, oh, it's so cold. I'm like, look, you moved to Prescott for a reason. You wanted all four seasons. And this is one of them. That's why you moved here. You could have stayed in the Valley or you could have stayed in California, but you wanted to come here. Cold is one of the Most people that moved here from California didn't do it because of the seasons. No, true. But (laughs) but they could have gone to the Valley. They could have. They could have. Yeah, Prescott fits. And, you know, the whole thing is like... the. People move to places even if they've got two good seasons. True. A lot of people move to a place because the two seasons are awesome. Yeah. I I mean, I enjoy the warm, man. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> That's where I'm at. Okay. Anyways. Josh, you've hey, got a banter topic for I did, us, yeah. Right? So, uh, <laughs> I follow a, a person on Twitter. It's called The Bad Church Secretary. It's really funny. And uh, I saw this last night. It said, when the pastor... <laughs> says he's just letting the spirit guide the message. I tell him he shouldn't be passing the blame like that. <laughs> so <laughs> she's got like this account has a couple other it's like, oh, this person worked at a church. That's like really there's funny. a few other ones, but I thought that one was very timely for our conversation about the Holy Spirit. That, that feels hurtful for sure. That's yeah, I, I've got a couple of friends who uh and not to like disparage by any means or or uh throw shade at people that do this, because I think sometimes there's a legitimate, you know, purpose and reason for this. But where uh whereas by the pastor doesn't have the message written, period, until like Sunday morning in some yep. cases. And it's because of that reason. Like, hey, just want to make sure that I'm being sensitive to the spirit. And it's like, again, I know Jason's line is always, yeah, you could do that on Wednesday. You can be pretty sensitive to the spirit on Wednesday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know there's a lot of churches, especially smaller churches, where it's like, hey, yeah, we're just going to roll with it and see what happens. I would talk forever. <laughs> and about the same thing. That's what I've learned. You just say it different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've learned. Because we all have like 10 things we say all the time anyways. Yeah. Like, that's why, you know. Oh, yeah. But it would for sure, you would just keep saying the same. And it, and it is, 
Well, I just want to be following the Spirit. As if, the, again, like you said, the Spirit doesn't work in planning. It sure does. And you can leave, I mean, sections, right? Yeah. You can leave sections with a little bit of an ellipses and say, hey, we'll see. You know, I'm going to write out a quarter of it yeah. and see what happens and, and see where the Spirit leads me from there. Crazy. But. When I was first preaching, um, any personal story or illustration always came to me in the moment. Like, I'd sit for two days and try to think of a story oh, that would fit. And I could never get it. And I'd be like, well, I guess we're just not going to do it. And I'd be teaching, and it would, like, pop in my head. And I'd be like, oh, cool, great. Let's roll. So, That's you know, funny. Yeah, yeah, But I just would try. I would say, like, please, Lord, give me something to connect with people here. And it wouldn't work. And I would, so I just kind of quit trying in that season to try to figure that out. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. I've only got, like, seven or eight good stories. And I'll just, like, use those stories over and over again in conversations. Uh, and there can always be a little bit of an angle, different angle. So it's like these six or seven stories where you're telling 40 or 50 different points. It's great. Yeah. Uh, hey, well, let's that dive in. That sounds like a preacher right there. I got it's, six stories. I'm going to tell them 50 times. I got oh, you six can. of these babies. You That's it. Uh, let's dive in because we've got a bunch of questions, which none of us are surprised about. Um, this past Sunday, uh, Jason, you preached about um, the gifts of the Spirit. And specifically, we spent a bunch of time in the 1 Corinthians 12 text, 12, 13, 14-ish text, uh, that dive um, as deep as anywhere in Scripture into the miraculous gifts, right? Those are the ones that people have the most questions about more often um, because they're a little bit less typical for us in 21st century America church um, than maybe at some other times and places uh, in history. So, uh, we've got a bunch of questions. Before we dive into any of those, anything we want to say or clarify or do on the front end before we dig in, or do we just want to roll? It was interesting. I right before I went on, I grabbed my phone after the eight, and like literally fifteen minutes after the eight o'clock service, we already had two questions in the email box. So that was as fast as I've ever seen questions come in. So no, we're not surprised that we've got several to work through today. They're waiting. They were. They're waiting. I mean, we knew when we did this three months ago. Yeah. They've had eight weeks of, oh, it's not, it wasn't this week. Like that's probably been the, (laughs) oh, waiting until we get to get Is he going to skip it? (laughs) I saw a guy this morning sit down there. I had to go get my new trays for my Invisalign. And a guy sitting down next to me and goes, oh, Jason, he did a great job yesterday. <laughs> he goes, to teach that? with, And I heard that a lot from people in PV as well. So I do think that was really helpful to just go, yeah. hey, this is what the Word of God says. And we do. And I love your point. We all have our own experiences. And it may be natural, but that doesn't make it good or right, which is maybe really specific to this topic. Yeah. Um, because it is so vastly different church to church. Yes. You know, um, this is a big one. Okay. Well, let's dig in. There's a couple of repeats that we'll ask in slightly different ways. So if we miss yours, I'm sure it's lumped in with uh, one of the other ones, but we'll try to uh, put a name to most of them. And, and that way, you know, we're uh, directing our answers specifically to your question here. But we're going to start off um, here because this question was asked a bunch of times in a couple of different ways. Um, but really, it boils down um, to how do you know what gift you've been given. Like that's that was a big overarching theme. So I figured we'd start there and then parse out into some more specifics. How do you know? Well, there are some assessments that are out there. Um, Saddleback Church put one out many years ago, and I'm trying to remember what it was called. Should have looked that up. Um, shape. 
S-H-A-P-E, the shape assessment. And it, hmm. each of those, you know, in great Rick Warren Baptist fashion, each letter stands for something. It's an acrostic. So one of you guys can Google that up and help us know. But uh, it's like spiritual gifts and personality and spiritual gifts, heart abilities, personality, and experiences. Yeah. So there's a whole assessment wrapped around those things saying, hey, if we, you know, plug in some of these things, it'll help you point you into a direction. You know, I honestly, I wonder if we haven't spent too much time and effort trying to, trying to put a label to the thing. Uh, Part of it, I think is, hey, what, what do people see around you? The people around you will help you understand your your gifting. Like if you have a gift to teach, people will help you to understand, hey, I see this in you and I think you ought to pursue that. That that seems like something God's done and is doing in you. Um, and then there are some who are convinced they have the gift of teaching and the people around them say, you know what? I think I think administration might be more your thing, right? So I think... Um, Leaning into the people around us to help us with that assessment is is invaluable. But again, I think trying us just trying to put a label to it, I think is is often unhelpful. I think just leaning in, if we put into practice the things that we talked about last week about walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, He's going to lead us in the things that He's wanting us to do and gifting us to do. So I think it's more about hey, just. Be obedient to the Spirit, and He'll lead you to figure out what the gift is. That's really good. Josh, you've gotten an assessment. I remember when we did the Romans mm-hmm. 12 text, you shared a resource. You want to chat about that for a yeah, second? Yeah, we do. So it's very similar. It's And it's actually got some teaching on it. So if you're in a life group or um, maybe you just want to get together your discipleship group. So if you want to just email me, joshg at quadcity.church, I can send that over to you. No problem. Cool. Again, it's just one resource. Um, and But I think if we were in a— so I think if we were in a discipleship group, they could probably call out what our gifts are. If you right. do now, I mean, I know some of them are new still, so yeah. we may not be there yet. I'm not doing it in six weeks. No, but, but if you, you walk to somebody for two years, yeah. they would be able to say, "Oh man, I see, man, you, man, you're always so, you know, wise, and you have a, it seems like you have a really great discernment, like you've been given that gift, you know." Um, so I think people definitely help clarify or confirm, maybe is the right word, but I have it. And so again, it's got a video, it's got some teaching with it. You can take the test, ask the questions. Is it like a link sort of situation? Um, You'll send them a link? So yeah, it's like a, it's like three different things. So that's why you guys got to email because it's a video and then it's a link It has the link on there, but it also has some like group questions you can ask with it. Cool. Just so that it keeps it in the context of, uh, but again, I love that it should be talked about in the concept of groups because it should be this idea that you're using it for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if yeah, you're yeah. wanting to know your spiritual gifts, so you can run out and go, "Hey, I've got the gift of this," so you can glorify yourself. You probably missed the point. Yeah. Um, so again, it was shared by um, I think David shared it with me. Um, oh, cool. Because we had the same conversation, like you said in Romans. People were trying to go, "Well, how do I know what my gift is?" I think we do know. I think maybe we're just maybe unsure. Maybe are people like afraid to use that gift? I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, there's a lot of confusion around what is my spiritual gift. Yeah. Um, 
it is such a great, that would be a great thing to walk through in discipleship groups, walk, walk yeah. through that process and um, try to identify. And again, then you can do the the piece of encouraging, like, hey, what are we doing to actually use it. you know, activate those gifts, uh-huh. right? Because that was, I thought that was one of the more powerful moments in the message was this idea of like, hey, are we actually putting ourselves in positions to where we need these gifts? Like we need to use them and they're going to yeah. be powerful and that yeah. sort of thing. So uh, I thought that was good. Here's uh, a question from Cindy, kind of along those same lines around, you know, identifying gifts. Um, Jason said that gifts of the spirit are different from those you were born with. Is it possible though, that the spirit takes natural, uh, a natural bent and improves upon it or purifies it into a gift of his? Mm. I think, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, I think it's possible. Uh, again, I, I just don't want to remove the supernatural element from it. Again, these spiritual gifts are directly connected to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's right. why they are given to us. They are a manifestation <clears throat> of the Spirit, which means they were not something that we had before we had the Spirit. So, um, can he take our natural proclivities and use them, redeem them for his glory and use in the kingdom? A hundred percent. But I, I don't want to dis, dismiss the idea that this is something very specific to the indwelling of the Spirit, and I didn't have it before I had the Spirit. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, really quick, I wonder if this might not be helpful. Um, you guys mind chatting about what you've identified as your spiritual gifts? Yeah. Good. That, you guys want to do that? Sure. Boom. Let's do it. Jason, you start. Well, I think mine is the gift of teaching. So that's the... If you ask me, I think that's the only one that I can really point to that has been confirmed again and again. Um, you know, I I had a student pastor who uh, started calling that out in me when I was about 15 years old, which is when I did my first sermon. And so that is just something that I've continued to grow in uh, over the years, and that seems to be the gift um, that most benefits the kingdom. So when I when we talk about that all of these gifts are meant to edify the church, that's the gift that I have that most edifies the church. Yeah, that's really good. Uh for I mean for me, the two that always like I always circle back to uh are discernment and leadership. Those are the ones for me that I feel like I've been gifted. And it was interesting, you know, talking about this question, this is why it came to mind. Is because I was wrestling through yesterday, as he said, hey, these aren't your natural proclivities. These aren't things you were born with. And just seeing the interesting difference in my life from my childhood to um, really, gosh, when I was, you know, and I I was baptized at uh, like 11 or 12, that range. Um, But I really started seeing these gifts about 17, 18 years old developing in a, a much different way than when I was a kid. Um, so that was the interesting thing with this question of, and your point of, hey, these aren't necessarily things that you were born with or else it wouldn't really be a gift, right? right? A, a spiritual gift as a result of your faith. And for me, it was like, oh yeah, no, I, um, around, around it, yeah, 17, 18, 19, developed this ability to be uh, really decisive, to just kind of know like whatever, whatever um, that is, that ability to discern, a complex situation and boil it down to a, hey, I think this is really the right next step. Um, and that really started around that time. So that was uh, why I wanted to ask that question because that stood out to me even yesterday as I was listening 
uh, in those kind of two gifts that I've seen since then. So, Josh, what? what yeah, I mean, so I think teaching definitely a piece, but I think, you know, one of my unique spiritual gifts is the gift of faith um, and my ability to help people believe that God is going to, because of how he's worked in my life, like there is a sureness that God is going to do exactly what he says he's going to do. So in moments of like pastoral care and shepherding, like that ability to have that gifting helps put people at ease, I think. And like God has given me that for, again, for people. Like I do have a, this, this, I don't know, it's just weird. And I never would have thought that. A friend of mine, I asked him probably four or five years ago, hey man, what would you say biggest gifts of mine are? And he, you know, leadership, whatever. He said, but Josh, you have this, you have the gift of faith. And the way it plays out is with any situation, you just believe God is going to be good and he's on his throne and he's, you're going to make it through it. And your ability to share that with people. And I was like, dang. And I thought I just naturally did it. Like I didn't even think of it as a spiritual gift. And so for him to call that out in me to see that in my life was like that moment of like, oh, there are people who see it and help call that out as well, right? And so well, it, I believe I've even mentioned that yeah. to you yeah. in the last yeah. year that yeah. that's a gift that you have. That but I, I wouldn't have. even have thought that if you asked me 10 years ago. I had <clears throat> no clue that that, I didn't even, maybe it's because I didn't believe it was, or didn't really know that that was a gift. I thought everybody had faith. <laughs> but like, no, no, a specific gift that's yeah. at a deeper level. Um, and just how I look back now, like you said, over my life to go, oh, mm-hmm. well, no wonder I could maybe have done the things that, other people may not have done and gone and take those chances because God had given me this gift to go do that. Yeah. Whereas others may not have. So yeah, for sure. I think that's a, a unique one. And nobody's ever talking about that because it right. doesn't necessarily get you up on the stage and the platform and the shiny lights. You right. Know? But um, it's definitely something I'm grateful to have. Yeah, that's really good. This next question was asked a bunch of times also. Uh, I think Rose, George, Wesley kind of all asked variations of this question. Um, uh, so here's kind of a, a summed version of it. Um, once we've identified our gifts, right, we've taken the assessment or we just know that, Hey, this is something, an area that God's gifted me in. Um, uh, how is it that we actually show or apply that gift within the context of the church? Like if we're given these to benefit the church, how do we go about doing that? Y'all both looking at me. Why well, so do you got to be in the body? Someone's got to start. You got to be at- attached to the yeah, body. 100%. If you're not attached to a local body, how are you actually using the gifts? Um, like Jason said yesterday, um, it, it's not so, ju- like we miss out if you're not a part of this. Like I'm imperfect. I don't have, I thought that's when you said that about no one has all of the gifts. I thought, because if we had all of the gifts, I wouldn't need anyone else. Mm, yeah. Right? Like, I yeah. would need you, Jason. I would yeah. need you to help teach me. I, I could do it myself. Yeah. Right? So this is the reminder of we actually need one another, which makes sense because of how God has always operated with this idea of community. Yep. So if everybody's given everything, then we could all just live in isolation. But the fact that God actually is like, nope, I'm not giving you this gift and you this gift. Well, I need Brendan and Jason in yeah. my life to help in the areas I'm the weakest at. Yep. And that's the humility that we need um, in this. So I think the first thing is you have to be attached to the body. Yep, that's good. Um, here's a couple of thoughts. Um, because as you mentioned, it was asked several ways. And I think what it comes down to is, <clears throat> sorry. Um, I think what many people are trying to figure out is, 
how do we operate with these gifts? And when they say in the church, I think many times they're thinking about it on a Sunday morning. Mm, yeah. And so I think we have to disconnect the idea that church equals the worship service. Um, and so we have five services across three campuses that make up our church. Three? Two campuses. Well, Ooh. unless you throw the he online kinda, yeah. idea. Okay. But. I, was like, I was like, wait a minute. When did that happen? <laughs> Where did I miss out? Don't remember that meeting. Right. Oh. We have, it's in Ash Fork. I don't know if you guys know that. <laughs> um, so we've got these two campuses, five services. And, and so one person in one of those environments practicing their gift is not practicing it in the midst of the entire church. So, so we've got this idea that, that somehow we, we, if it's not Sunday morning, it's not the church. And that's just not the case. So it's, again, it's about being connected to the body. It may be something that you're operating in your gift in your living room. If you have the gift of hospitality, that may be something you're doing in your living room. It may be something you're doing through your life group. If you've got the gift of wisdom and discernment, it may be you're connecting with people on an ongoing basis, just sharing the wisdom and counsel of God. Your gift of faith is not something that most often gets utilized on the stage on a Sunday morning. It gets utilized in face-to-face conversations with people who are hurting and doubting and fearful, and you speak into it using your gift. So we have to disconnect the idea that using it in the church means using it on a Sunday morning on a platform. So I want to—I just want to throw that out there. Um, the other thing I would say is, I think we have to be honest enough to recognize that the way that we do church in America and probably even church in the West mm. does not um, lend itself to practicing these gifts well corporately. And in, what I mean by these gifts, meaning the miraculous gifts, there were some people who were talking specifically about the miraculous gifts, whether it's speaking in tongues, whether it's prophecy, how would we do that? Again, likely that's not a Sunday morning kind of thing. And we can talk about the tongues piece. We'll get into 1 Corinthians 14 in just a minute. But again, we've got a 65-minute service that we're going to, we got to roll over three times and clear a parking lot. Like that is a Western way that we do church, that they weren't doing that in Corinth. They weren't doing that in Ephesus. They weren't doing that. They had much smaller gatherings, uh, most likely house churches that would gather together at different times. So the way that we do church in the West, admittedly, does not lend itself to operating these gifts, the miraculous gifts, corporately. So I wish there was an opportunity for us to rethink, and maybe we do. We continue to to figure out how to do this better. I think we do a little bit better job when we do like um, our worship nights, where we'll have elders who are available, and they will anoint people and pray over people, and we've got a little more extended time. Um, it's not as rushed, so these things take time to practice. Um, but again, I think we have to get away from the idea that these giftings have to be utilized on a Sunday morning for the to be a benefit to the church because that's just not the case. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I, I almost immediately thought about groups, right? Whether it be your life group yeah. or your discipleship group or whatever smaller um, uh, in-home sort of environment is being a 
such a great opportunity because you're sitting around, um, again, almost likening it to the early church around a smaller group of people who all know you, yeah. right? And how much more powerful is the working of the Spirit through you in the life of someone who knows you rather than just standing up on a Sunday morning and me being three quarters of the way across the room, not knowing who you are. And you're so there's so, I think there's so much power in that smaller environment um, for the display of some of these gifts. Um, and to your point, I mean, hospitality was the one that always comes to mind because it's not necessarily a gift that I have. I love hanging out with people and I love cooking for people and that sort of thing. But the gift of hospitality is not one that I have. Um, but if that's you, and if you found yourself in this position where that's something that you've been gifted with, okay, now you just have to ask yourself, how am I actually using that within the context of the church? Am I hosting a group? Am I having people over into my home, whether it's formal or informal? Am I actually exercising that gift that I've been giving so it's on display for the church at large? So the church is actually benefiting for it. Right. Um, like if you have a gift of leadership and you're not leading anything because you led for 40 years in another context, like we talked about that in Romans, (laughs) you've retired and say, I'm not going to do that in church. You literally are not using the gift God has given you to edify the body of believers. Like that feels like you're being disobedient. Yeah. You know? Um, And so that's the, the same way. Like if you say, I got the gift of hospitality, but won't lead a life group or host a life group. Yeah. Because it's, I don't know, I I don't know the reasonings behind it, but it's like that would be your chance to use a group to edify the church because you're going to make people come in and feel super welcome and super cared for. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, again, those are easier, I think, because they are the non-miraculous when you're talking about the gift of leadership. So those are are a little easier to figure out. But I would say prophecy— is easier in a smaller group. That happens, yeah. And that would happen much more naturally in a life group than it would. Right. Yeah. But one of the questions specifically was, okay, um, God has a word for the church. How do how do we share that? If, if somebody has a gift of prophecy, it feels like God has a word for the church. What is the best way for that to get shared? So we we have to think through, okay, how would that gift get most, how would that gift be utilized most uh, um, most helpfully? Yeah. It's not a great word. Uh, how could we utilize that gift in a way that's most helpful for the church? Um, and again, I would say the environment would not be that we just give that person a mic on a Sunday morning and stand up. Again, because we have so many people that are, we don't know. And that doesn't mean that they don't have the gift, uh, but those gifts are to be utilized in community for the sake of vetting. So for the person who asked that question, I would say, share that with the pastors and the elders who can help to discern whether or not that really is from the Lord for this church, for this season. And then we pray through it. And that may be something that gets shared with the entire church. Um, but I don't think it would be something that we would start there on a Sunday morning. We just hand somebody a mic to prophesy. Uh, I think the part of what the eldership is supposed to do, their one of their major roles is to protect the church from, you know, the, the scriptures are very clear that there will be uh, wolves among the sheep. There will be 
false prophets who come into the church, like this is all throughout the New Testament, false prophets and false teachers who stand up and say they have a word from the Lord, but it's not actually from the Lord. And it's the elders who are supposed to protect as a shepherd does the sheep, the people. And so those should all be ran through the pastors, through the elders to confirm and hold that up before the Lord. And if the if it's uh, confirmed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, then that may be something that gets shared with the entire church. Yeah, that was um, one of the things I was thinking about, right? In the same way that God has gifted us by the power of the Holy Spirit, these, these gifts, these spiritual gifts, He's also gifted us um, people to lead His flock and to shepherd His flock and to protect His flock, whether it be the pastoral staff or the elders that have had that call on their life. Yeah. Like, um, it's not as if, a spiritual gift outweighs or overrules the structure that God has given us to lead his church. Right. Um, so I think leaning in heavily into that. Uh, prophecy is the one we've had the most conversations probably about. Um, and we'll get to a question here as to why maybe we've had the most conversations about the prophecy piece. Um, but uh, actually, that's coming next. Do you guys have anything else on this before we jump deeper into prophecy? No, let's go. Awesome. Uh, here was the, here's the question. Julie asked this great question. Um, have you experienced the gift of, gift of prophecy in your personal life um, uh, or in the life of the body at Quad City? So just let's start with our own personal experiences of this idea of prophecy. And then we can talk a little bit about why this is a hard one to wrestle through for us. I know Josh and I especially, uh, Josh especially has mm-hmm. some wrestling to do. So with, I think this is the most abused one. I think we all hear tongues and and see it, but I can not that I don't dismiss it, but um, that doesn't. Bo- There's a lot of people who say the Lord told me, yep, X, Y, and Z, and then a lot, and then it hasn't come true, and so they're a false prophet. I just see this one being abused the most, um, and so I I'm real, I'm hesitant when somebody starts that phrasing off with that because of my experiences. Man, I've been in churches before. I was telling the guys before we even started, I was in a church. I was preaching at a church, and somebody came up, and um, she placed her hand on me, and I got a really uncomfortable feeling, which has only happened when I've been in the presence of what I would call something demonic and shared a word with me. And I was like, um, I just felt so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And again, I only have these experiences. I don't have a lot of them, but church planting like you said, I put myself on the front lines of the kingdom doing work that, so I have a, just in that season, I was probably more attuned spiritually to some of the demonic stuff. And so her presence made me very uncomfortable. And so, but she's claimed it. Hey, I have a word of the Lord. He wants me to tell you like the whole time you were preaching, the Lord's telling me to tell you this. And I was like, okay. And like walked away. And I, you know what I mean? So I've, I've had multiple of those kinds of moments with people like, Hey, the Lord said this and it didn't come true. So I don't have any positive experiences with this with the gift of prophecy. So I'm not saying it's not possible. I believe it is. God's word says it is. But in our church, this, the charlatans have abused this to. I mean, so many of the false teachers. I think that's what they're always saying. I have this gift. The Lord is telling me that this is going to happen, and so I'm just much more leery of this one maybe than the rest of them. Which is sad, yeah. first, first and foremost. I know. So um, when we think about the gifts, Paul specifically holds up the gift of prophecy. And he actually says it is the greatest of all of the gifts. And the reason it is the greatest of all of the gifts 
is because all of the gifts are meant to to be an edification for the body. And again, we can read through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and that's the one he keeps holding up and yeah. saying, this edifies the body. When, when the Lord speaks and that word is, is shared with the body, it edifies the body and actually has, uh, has power to change people's lives. In fact, he says, so when the whole church comes together, everybody speaks in tongues, and inquirers or unbelievers come. So he has an expectation there are going to be people who are seeking the Lord in the, in the worship service. And he says, and you all are all speaking in tongues. He says, they're just going to think you're out of your mind. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verse 23. But then he adds, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer, somebody who's just interested in following Jesus, comes in while everyone is prophesying, and they are convicted of sin, and they are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So someone's prophesying, and it actually involves the person who comes in, and their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming that God is really among you. Like This is one of the gifts that puts the the power of God on display, even for unbelievers. And so he keeps heralding this one. In fact, he begins chapter 14 with, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially, (laughs) sorry if you missed that a few weeks ago when they (laughs) called me out for putting an X there instead of an S, especially, prophecy. So he holds that up and says, you should desire this one. So it is disheartening that that I think you're right, Josh, that so many times this one has been abused. And so back to your question, Brennan. Um, yeah, I have some very, some some people in my life who walk in realms that practice this gift all the time. Okay. So they come from environments where this is just part of the culture, that people are prophesying and speaking in tongues on an ongoing basis. So I'm, I'm very aware of how this comes apart, comes about. And to answer your question, I have had, we have had, my wife and I have had people who have prophesied many things uh, around us and to us and over us most of which have not come to pass. Mm -hmm. And so some of them that were very personal, some of them, I, there was a, a, during the uh, last election, there was just this string of videos that would be sent to me of teachers, Bible teachers who would say that they had a word from the Lord about, the Trump was going to get reinstated and that this, these things were going to come out and he was going to be put back in power. Like I've, I had those videos sent to me by these people who are saying the Lord is at work and what happened on election day is not the end. And that, that Trump is going to be back in power. Like those videos were sent to me uh, by Quote unquote. With like specific dates too. Yeah. Let's not say like by the next election. Oh, season. no, 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 no. Yeah. No, no, no. This was <laughs> yeah. Biden will not be president and Trump's coming back into power. Things are going to get exposed and yeah. believe in the Lord and pray for his revelation to bring this stuff. Like, and it was prophesied that these things were going to happen. And obviously they did not. 
Biden is still president. And so I affirm everything that you're saying, Josh, that this does get abused. And we sweep it under the rug when people say these things and we don't call it what Scripture calls it, which is false prophets. Mm. And so, um, but again, we have to, and I think you're feeling the tension of this. Yeah. We have to get to the place where we say, there, just because there's false prophets doesn't mean that the Lord still isn't going to speak through people. We Amen. just we just have to vet those. Um, but I do think we are going to come to it with a little bit more um, cynicism, and that's probably a bad way, but I think it's reality. Um, I have one that came from our church. Okay, A lady came up to me in our church. That's probably a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. And she had a little piece of paper that while I was preaching, she wrote some things down and she brought it up to me and said, the Lord wanted me to share this with you. Um, I had one that came through a phone call that there was a guy that I'd been connected with a long time ago. Very, um, And I've had this one probably for five or, no, 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 it's probably longer than that. Uh, eight or nine years, and I've got both of them taped onto my lamp in my office. So you boys can come into my office and see them if you want them. But they're, they're, it's more of God speaking promises and encouragement over me than for mm-hmm. telling the future. And I think both can be yeah. from yeah. the Lord. And both, yeah. and so, but they very specific, hey, the Lord told me to tell you this, and I don't know why but it was an encouragement that I needed in that moment. And so I do believe that that happens. Yeah. Um, and I wish that we had, I don't want to say, I wish it wasn't abused the way that it gets abused. Because again, from the very beginning, people wanted to leverage this for their own fame and own glory, their own power, their own financial windfalls. The, the, this gets abused. Mm-hmm. And so uh, two, three weeks ago, I'll end with this one. Three weeks ago, there was a dude who uh, Mr. Gary Wilson sent it to me who was prophesying that Jesus was returning. And so another one of those that came out just three weeks ago, and he, I went back to his website and he had missed it like four times in the last 18 months. And it's like, didn't, didn't he tell us not to do that? I think he did, I but thought, yeah. people don't listen. Yeah. Uh, but it gets people riled up. Yeah. And if you can convince them that you're right, it gives you an authority that nobody else has. I did have a guy in my last church who uh, was a dreamer. Like, and so did have a dream about me and shared some stuff That's cool. with me. I, I've always so he was cool. a lot. So like, it was like, hey, had this dream. This is kind of what it means. Like this is what I'm I'm hearing. What are you going through? Like, and he was he wouldn't just walk up to you, but there were people who would go, hey, would go to him and go, hey, I had a dream, and this is what I'm experiencing. Hmm. And he was able to kind of interpret them. Again, only I never ever met anyone else like that, and um, one of the most spiritual people I knew. But you wouldn't you wouldn't know that looking at him at, at all. It wouldn't be. But he and he was real careful. He he didn't stand up and shout that out. Yeah. I, but he just came up to me one day, hey, hey, I had this dream about you specifically, and here are the things, and take what you would like out of it, right? He goes, I think this is probably what it means. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, right? It was just some encouragement that I needed in that moment, in that yeah. season. Yeah. Um, and so 
I have the dream. So when you're reading Joel, I'm like, oh, I've, yeah, that, that has happened. Yeah. I've actually experienced. So I'm not shut off from the spirit working. Yeah. It just is, this is the one that I'm like. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Robbed it. Jason, you used the word cynical. I wonder if we reframe that with the word like cautious, yes. right? Because I think that would be yeah. like, there's a reason that, especially within the New Testament, test the spirit comes up a number of times. Say, test mm-hmm. the spirit, test mm-hmm. the spirit. There's even Old Testament texts about how to test prophecies and then what action to take for false prophets and all of that stuff. So I think, I think it's a, appropriate to be cautious, to look at the fruit of the person who's prophesying over you, right? Is there actual biblical, uh, spiritual evidence in their lives that they're following Jesus? That stuff's really, really important. Um, And I don't think it's a bad thing to be cautious. I think it's wise. No, but in the fact that we're given the warnings of false prophets would require us to believe that there are real prophets, yeah. Because yeah. if 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 as we said yesterday, if those gifts were just meant for the apostles and then were gone, mm-hmm. then then there would be no expectation to deal with false prophets because the scripture would just say all prophecy has ceased and so anyone who speaks as a prophet is a false prophet. So mm-hmm. all prophecy is false prophets, but he doesn't say that. He says you got to test them and figure out if it's from the Lord. So the fact that we're given warnings about false prophecy affirms that there are true prophets that still speak uh, from and by the Spirit. Yeah, so I share, I'll, I'll just answer really quickly and then we can move on. I shared this with you guys maybe in a, a week or two ago. I had, um, when I was in high school, I had an experience. I was maybe 14 or 15 uh, where I went to this camp with a, a church that I wasn't really affiliated with, but had some friends who had some cousins there and I tagged along and it was actually here in Prescott. And um, come to find out it's a, an Assemblies of God church that I join. And um, I had never really had any sort of experience with the Assemblies of God church. So it was a wild weekend for me. Uh, coming from a Christian church background. Um, But one of the things that happens on this weekend is I remember we were getting ready, like loading vans to head back down to the valley. And I was um, like getting my stuff and walking out to the van. I had this guy that I had never talked to, didn't. um, And I, I, it's interesting because I can remember his face. I can remember what he looks like, but I have no concept. Don't know his name. Would probably may not even be able to pick him out of a lineup if I had to sort of situation. But he came up to me. He was one of the leaders and, um, called me by name, never talked to him before. Total, tons of ways he could have known my name, but thought that was interesting. Called me by name. I turned around and he just shared with me, hey, um, uh, God told me you're going to be a pastor. And then he walked away. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And definitely like, I don't know, I wasn't um, inherently skeptical, but also haven't like for the last 20 years haven't really hedged my bets on that one prophecy. Like I've still walked in the directions I feel like God's calling me to walk and all of those things. And and I'm still pursuing, like I'm not uh, hanging on this one prophecy. I've got no reason to believe it was a false prophecy at this point in my life. No reason really to question it. Um, But it's interesting looking back on now, obviously that I am a pastor and kind of considering, hey, that's I wonder if there were moments where that was an encouragement for me to keep going, right? Like, hey, uh, this this is the right path for me. And that's what it feels like it has been um, over the last almost 20 years. So uh, just an interesting experience. Again, that was the only experience I've had with a 
what I would consider like a very specific prophecy over my life. There's been tons of people, God told me this. Um, God told me you're going through this thing or, or whatever it is more of a word of, uh, wisdom or knowledge than a specific, this is what you're going to go do sort of situation. But, uh, yeah, really interesting. So that's, that's been my experience with it. Um, let's move on to, uh, the next question here. Dora asks this question. I think it's really great. Um, she goes, is it possible that some of the miraculous gifts are right in front of us and that we don't really see them? Uh, for example, uh, I think of my dad's open heart surgery, stopping a heart, cutting the arteries, putting them back together and getting the heart restarted again. Um, is it that we just don't recognize all of these things as miraculous, as miracles? Um, I think that is probably um, a misunderstanding. You know, we'll we'll utilize the miracle language. We even say it when, when somebody has a baby. It's a miracle. It's not though. And so again, even a lot of these are a miracle by definition is something outside of the laws of nature. So that's what it means. It's when somebody who was dead comes back to life. It's somebody who who has an illness and it goes away. Like when we talk, when you look at miracles in the scripture, it's the things that happen outside of the laws of nature. So uh, what happens with things like open heart surgeries, they are amazing. Like we can, we look at them with, we're just, it, it's, it is astounding what doctors can do. But the doctor who did the open heart surgery, they trained for that. Like they knew going in, I'm going to cut this artery and I'm going to put a pig valve in and I'm going to, like they train for that. And so a miracle isn't necessarily something you could train for. And so uh, I I think when we think about miracles, we have to think about them as like legit miraculous, something that breaks the laws of nature. It's God intervening in the world in a way outside of the laws as we understand them. Yeah, that's a great answer. Uh, here's the next question. Um, is it possible that we can actually possess multiple gifts um, or all of the gifts, but not necessarily simultaneously? For instance, um, can someone you know, one day have uh, the gift of healing and the other day have a, a different gift totally unrelated? Um, and then a follow-up question. This one, again, came from Corlean and Ben. Uh, Follow-up is, like, can God choose to give us gifts interchangeably, um, different gifts at different times? Well, I would answer Ben first. God can do whatever he wants. So the answer is, can he? Yes, he for sure could do that. Um, Do I think that's the pattern? I don't think so. So uh, the first question is, do... Is, can we have more than one gift? And I think the, the answer to that is absolutely. In fact, I think we have biblical precedent for that. I think you look at the Apostle Paul himself. He talks about having the gift of tongues. That in, he, in chapter 14, he says, I speak tongue. I have I speak in tongues more than all of you. Like So he, he has the gift of tongues. I think we'd also recognize he has the gift of teaching. Like his letters to the churches teaching them is a gift that was for all of the churches. He has the gift of an apostle. He was given as an apostle to the church. So he has multiple gifts. He has, I'm pretty sure he has the gift of healing. Wasn't it Paul whose handkerchief was taken and just, 
you know, wave it at somebody and they would be healed. So we well, he healed also the guy in Acts twenty eight. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or no, uh, Eutychus, not yeah. Acts twenty eight, yeah. but the guy Eutychus. fell, yeah, 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 out yeah. the window. Acts yeah. twenty eight is when he got bit by the snake and that's he right. flung it off. That's right. And they're like, "Oh God, has surely judged him," <laughs> and then he lived. That's right. <laughs> and they didn't know what to do with Paul. <laughs> so Paul had multiple gifts, and so I think that I don't think that that is abnormal. I think uh, the way I shared it with somebody yesterday, I think there are people when we look at the. Parable of the talent. I think there are people who have one talent, two talent, five talent. I think there are some five talent people. I think there are some people who have been gifted in a way that uh, is more than other people have been gifted. I think that's biblical. But we all have something, but not everybody, not anyone has everything except for Jesus himself. So uh, you may be a one talent, you may be a five talent, and you will be, here's the part of that that we have to remember. You're going to be held accountable for the gifting. Like that's the point of that parable. God has gifted you. It may be a one talent gift. It may be a five talent gift, five talent gifts. And you will be held accountable for what you have done with those gifts. So be careful for praying for the five talents because you're going to be held to a greater uh, responsibility for those. But certainly I think the answer is yes to that. Yeah, that's really good. Okay, one last big theme we'll go on for, for a little tongues? while. That's where we're yeah. going. That's where we're going next. Uh, we had a couple of questions, or really a couple of comments and one question about the gift of um, speaking in tongues. And in some of the comments, right, kind of what you had mentioned yesterday is we just had people resonating with the fact that they came from churches or denominations or uh, spiritual experiences, whereas by the gift of tongues specifically, this this miraculous gift of speaking in tongues was the sign that they had actually been baptized by the Spirit, in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and without that gift, you're just not in. Um, so Maggie has a really specific question. I just wanted to put that qualifier out there because there were a couple of people that reached out saying, hey, yeah, I come from a uh, a faith background or a practice that would have believed this, and now they're here and kind of wrestling through all this as well. So, can we share one of those? I won't share sure. the name, but I think it's really important to put context because I had some people come up to me and were like, "Yeah, that's just not how it worked, or it wasn't how it worked for them." But I, I want to share with you one one story, one email that we got that kind of points to what I was trying to to get to. Um, I won't use the name, but here's here's the email. It says, my church background is the camp that taught that speaking in tongues was the evidence of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. As a young Christian, it was so discouraging because I could not express that gift, no matter how much I prayed for it. I ended up walking away from the church. But God, rich in mercy and grace, kept me through the years in the wilderness. And I'm so thankful for your teaching today that you do not attempt to make God's word fit our preconceived doctrine, but let it speak on its own. But but I wanted to tap into that. It's a really, really common experience that people had for so many people who came out of those environments um, and did not receive that gift of being able to speak in tongues and then ended up um, feeling as if their faith was less than, or maybe they did not even have faith at all. So 
that's one we got. We had another one, but I want to put you on the spot, Brendan, yeah. for you to share the story of your experience that that falls in in line with this same idea. Yeah, yeah. It you know um, it is really powerful, right? Because uh, that comment that you just shared, it's like, hey, this was kind of one of the driving, and maybe there was more, but this is one of the driving uh, factors behind me. Maybe not even understanding this faith to be mine. Like if I don't have this gift, then is it not, is it not sticking for me? Is this a me thing? Am I not the chosen? So I, you know, it's a really dangerous, um, I think mindset to be in my, my experience. So I shared a minute ago, uh, this camp that I went to and overwhelmingly positive experience that I had towards the tail end. Um, that wasn't the case the whole weekend. I had a, a, another experience. Gosh, you know, we get there, I don't know if it was Friday night or Saturday night, but we do this big, long session. And, um, you know, part of the purpose of this camp, I come to find out, um, is helping students display this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues, right? It's something I had no experience with walking into and, um, really didn't have much knowledge around it, but it became pretty clear pretty early that um, that was going to be a, a bit of a sticking point throughout the course of the weekend for me. So, you know, we're in this service. And again, this is all, I just want to share my personal experience. I definitely don't want to discourage anyone who has experienced this gift in a real or, or true way. But again, just sharing my personal experience as a 14-year-old walking into this um, this setting. We're in this worship service, uh, this session that we're doing as a part of this camp. And, um, you know, there's a, a, a gospel presentation message, right? And pastor gets up, preaches the gospel, and then that quickly shifts into this idea of spiritual gifts and have you been baptized in the spirit? And what does that mean in your life? And have you actually displayed these gifts that would tell you that you have been and that you are saved and that you're good to go? And again, I come from a Christian church background that would not necessarily teach any of that. Um, uh, so I end up, you know, in this environment where we're being asked to walk to the front of the room if we've not experienced <clears throat> the gift of the Holy or the gift of speaking in tongues. So I'm okay. I guess I gotta go do that and like encourage to go with this big group, again, I, just for context, maybe 200 kids in this little auditorium. And, and um, you know, we're kind of in a line in the front of the stage and we have people praying for us, which was really a neat, neat environment. You know, all these adults praying for, for these students, which was really neat, but they were praying very specifically that we would be given the gift of speaking in tongues. And kind of one by one, I'm looking to my left and looking to my right, and there's these kids that are speaking in tongues. So we might all say from the outside looking in, and I was just encouraged, hey, pray. So I'm, I'm praying out loud, um, and as are a bunch of kids next to me on either side, and, and um, obviously praying in the language that I speak. I'm praying in English out loud to God. Um, and, you know, one by one, these kids are like going back and sitting down, and I come to realize, you know, we're probably 25 minutes into this experience, and I'm one of like four or five kids that are left in the front of the room. I'm like, this is really uncomfortable. What are we what are we doing here? So I'm still praying. There's five or six leaders around me and laying hands on me and um, speaking in tongues that I can't understand. And, um, and ultimately, like comes down to, I just keep praying <laughs> in English. And I'm told in this moment, like as we get deeper and deeper into this thing, like, hey, that's not what we're asking you to do. That's not what the Spirit is asking you to do. 
Like you're not supposed to be praying in English. You're supposed to be speaking in tongues. I said, I don't know how to do that. And uh, nor is it coming to me by the spirit or naturally. So ultimately as a 14 year old, I make the conscious decision. I am going to fake this. I am going to speak in gibberish so that I can go back and sit down in my seat. Uh, and that's what I did. So I spoke in gibberish for two or three minutes and I walked back down to my seat. And that was uh, the end of the session. So really unfortunate. Yes. Really unfortunate circumstance that I'm sure plenty of people, hopefully, if you're listening to this and have a similar experience, you can come grab me at Pastor's Point and we can laugh about it now. But like, there's this whole dark side to, gosh, what else then is counterfeit? What else then are we doing out of, like, there was this extreme social pressure that I was experiencing. Um, so what of these, what we're calling gifts of the Spirit, have, have we been manipulated into counterfeiting? So it's, re- yeah, really unfortunate. Which then makes sense, like he's talking about, the, even the, the prophecy, you, you hold it looser because it was wrapped up with that experience. For sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's it's hard to disconnect them. 100%. And so that's what happens. This is what happens when we when we abuse the gifts God has given us. We miss out on, I think, what could be awesome. And could there really be a kid in that room who genuinely had that gift? Absolutely. So, okay. Sure. Great. But to think, again, that every single person in that room had it, that all had that one gift, seems... That's not sh- because what edification does that give? Yeah, and who's interpreting that thing anyways? Because that's a pretty mm. cool rule we're going to talk about, right? No, <laughs> in Corinthians fourteen, <laughs> we're going to talk about this in that setting. Yeah, so that's that's the difficulty. So the even the email that I read, and here's here was somebody else that talked about. I got another email here. It says I found speaking in tongues very disconcerting. So they came from a church that that did that, and I found it very disconcerting. It says I found as I moved in my Christian walk, my Pentecostal family looked down on my chosen home church that was lesser in their opinion. So again, there's just this idea that because you don't have this gift, you are less than. And or even to your 14-year-old mindset, do I even have the kind of faith that's required? Because what I'm right. being told is if you have the faith that is required, you're going to do this thing. And so you end up faking it, which ends up demoralizing you or even making you decide to walk away as the first email that we said. So this is a very common uh, struggle that comes with this expectation that there's this one gift that everyone, a miraculous gift that everyone has to display uh, and I wanted to try to, as, as as much as I could, just dispel that yesterday and remove that pressure from yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. And luckily, I had a great church that I was attending and a part of that I went back home to and wrestled through some of that with and, and was supportive in it. But um, there was a, a specific question, though. Maggie had shared a question about uh, this idea of speaking in tongues, this gift of tongues. And then maybe we can hit on a little bit more about um, what First Corinthians has to say, well, Paul has to say to the church in Corinth. So Maggie's question is this, and this is really interesting. Um, I've heard it taught that the gift of speaking in tongues is given today to those who need to speak um, in more than one language. For example, missionaries or uh, Bible translators. But do you believe 
that this gift is given more broadly than this today. So what Maggie's saying is, hey, we've heard these stories, and I've personally heard these stories of missionaries that are able to either speak or understand a literal language, a language that a, a community or a tribe speaks that um, we don't speak, we don't understand, we never learned in and of ourselves. So her question is, when we're talking about speaking in tongues, is that all we're talking about? Or is it a more broad subject today? Do we believe that it's more broad than that? Well, I think that's the first place we have to begin. Because when we first see this phenomenon show up, it is in Acts chapter 2, and it is quite literally the Spirit comes down. And because there are there is in Jerusalem people from all over the Roman Empire who speak I think there was, what, 14 or 14 standing out of my mind, or maybe more than that, Mm -hmm. 14 different people groups that are mentioned in that text, and they all hear the gospel being proclaimed in their native tongue. So it was not any kind of gibberish. It wasn't that they, the apostles were saying one thing in one language, and they were hearing something in a different language. They were speaking in the native language of these people. Of in, many nations and tribes, I think yes. is what the text says. Right? So there, so so we can't we can't uh, disassociate what it means to speak in tongues. It was a clear language, and they're shocked because they say, "Aren't these all Galileans? If you're from Galilee, you're not going to understand the language that we speak back in Malta or whatever the thing is." So it is very much a a clear understanding of language. Paul even utilizes this imagery in 1 Corinthians 14 when it's talking about tongues. So, uh, again, let me back up before we get to our text. Let me back up. Even this past week, one of our staff members shared a story of a family member who had spent time doing some mission work in a foreign place and they did not speak the language that they were Uh, in the country that they were in, and shared a story of how one of the people in in the group that was there in this foreign land, that somebody was wanting to do something harmful to this group. And they were speaking in their native tongue. And one of the people from the group that was there understood what they said, that they understood that they were going to do something harmful to this group. And this person who did not speak that language understood what they said and were able to turn the group in a different direction to keep them out of harm. I look at that and say, that is a very real picture of what this is uh, talking about, that they were able to understand a language that they had never spoken before and that God gave them that ability in that moment. Even in our text, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul utilizes this kind of this imagery. So, Uh, If we look at chapter 14, verse 9, here's what he says. So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You are just speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager 
for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in the ones that build up the church. So even in his explanation of speaking in tongues, he utilizes the imagery of saying, look, there are all sorts of languages in the world, but you ought to be speaking in the one that people can understand because that's what's going to be most helpful. So even here, he connects it to uh, a known language. Now, You want to add something to that? No, I'm good. Uh, Keep going. Are we uh, going to get to the rest of how to use it in a, how it should be used? So there is seemingly another level to this. So Hmm. I think first and foremost, it is, there, there is for sure the speaking in a known language that you haven't studied. But even Paul does seem to talk about, um, a different type of language that is almost a prayerful language. It is one that he says that he speaks to God. Okay. So this would be something different, seemingly, at least to me. Again, there are a lot of people who see this in different ways, but at least to me, this seems to be something different. So again, if I go to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, starting in verse uh, 13. It says, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they are able to interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what should I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but also uh, sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit. So this is different than just speaking a known language to a different person. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now in the position as an inquirer, how can they say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one is edified. So there is something that he's doing here that he's praising God. And maybe it is just a foreign language that nobody else understands. Or maybe it's something that he's doing that just God understands. Either way, he actually downplays the use of that in the body. If there's not anybody to interpret it, whether it's a heavenly something that he's doing from his spirit, by the spirit, or if it's a known language, all of a sudden he's in an English church and he's praising God in German. He's like, nobody can understand what, nobody can say thanksgiving with you. Nobody can say amen because they don't understand what you're saying. Either way, he downplays that gifting and says, it's not really helpful. So again, look at verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, in other words, in a gathering, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So he downplays the use of this gift in in corporate worship, outside of there's somebody here to interpret what is being said so that it edifies the whole body. And he goes on to say, if you go down to verse 22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And I think what he means by that is an unbeliever hearing the gospel in a way that is in their language. He says, prophecy is not for the unbelievers, but for the believers. So if the whole church, we already read this, comes together and they're speaking in tongues, you're just going to look like you're crazy. But prophecy will help people come to know the Lord. So 
There's a whole lot that we could talk about, and he even goes into how to play this out. But the real big idea is, does it edify the church? Is what you're doing when you're speaking in tongues actually cause people to be able to praise God with you? That they can hear what you're saying and understand it and give their amen to it. And if it if you can't, then Paul says, just keep it to yourself. I mean, keep you should that, read that, though, because that, okay, go ahead and read 28, that. There, yeah. if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Yeah. Like, the, it, there literally is. Yes. Like, there is rules around it. And again, so when people ask, they go, well, do you believe in tongues? They go, absolutely. Yeah. If we do what Paul says, I'm down. Let's roll. Like, let's go, right? Um, you know, cool. I'm more power to you. Let's yeah. if you have that gift, man. I praise God. I think it is it's how the church was birthed, was yeah. this giving of tongues. Yep. Um, and it is a miraculous gift, but people, it's not how we typically see it, at least in our Western context. Correct. That's typically not how it's used. Yeah. Even says like only one or two people at a time. So definitely not two hundred. No, like, no, no, not, not one or two at a, one time. at a time. One or two at the church. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. One or two in that moment. That's it. Nobody else can't yeah. be doing more than that because it is just confusing. Yeah. yeah. And you would uh, be lost. I think it's a really helpful delineation, right? The corporate expression of tongues and uh, again, specific languages that you have not learned to speak and being able to communicate in those and understand those languages, differentiating that from what Paul describes as his prayer language, right? Um, and, and it's an interesting, you know, I, I do feel probably, Josh, what you're um, sensing is that maybe the more modern charismatic church leans really heavily into my prayer language, my tongues yeah. that no one around me understands yeah. and using that in the corporate expression. Mm-hmm. But it seems as if what he's saying is there is a place for both of them. He definitely prioritizes um, prophecy over any of it. <laughs> and the uh, gives very clear structure around um the corporate use of tongues and how to do that and how to, you know, obviously interpret and have an interpreter if you're going to exercise that gift. But I've also always found it interesting that that prayer language almost affirms what he says in Romans 8, which we talked about when, when, or sorry, not when, you do not know how to pray, what to pray, but the Spirit uh, in its mercy intercedes on your behalf, right? And that almost is this picture of Paul putting that to practice with this personal praying in the spirit words that he may not understand, but is a language spoken to God. And again, I I definitely want to make sure that we put that in its rightful place uh, aside from the corporate use next to the corporate use of these tongues. But I've always thought that was an interesting, hey, he identified this this line in Romans and it almost is affirmed in his own personal practice of prayer. And if you keep going, he's like, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Uh-huh. And so the one comment that she felt like it was disorder mm-hmm. would go, I think that's what Paul's, because we know the church in Corinth was a train wreck. Right. Like, this is one of their issues. They're also getting drunk at communion. Like, they're— People are dying. People are wilding with- out. They got the guy with his stepmom. They're kicking out of the church. Like, First Corinthians is the letter to a church that is wilding out. And Paul's like, stop it. You're, you're harming what God has put inside, inside of, like, you are the church of the living God. And what you're doing is actually not being that anymore. You're allowing things to hamper 
our witness to, to unbelievers. You got to get it together, church. What is wrong with you? And so I love that he does put this in there because it, I think it does help us. And again, when we see our context. Now, again, I also read Acts 10 and Acts 19, and there was Cornelius, and they speak in tongues. Paul lays them in Ephesus, and they speak in tongues. I don't know what they were speaking. So I don't know if it was the language. I don't know if it was the prayer language. So mm-hmm. I am wide open to go. I don't know what those two are. They understood, though, that it was tongues. Mm-hmm but doesn't say anything more than that. So it wasn't like Acts 2, and right. it obviously wasn't a prayer moment because they weren't praying. They had received the Holy Spirit and something happened. And I know that's where a lot of our charismatic friends go to, that that's mm-hmm. being baptized in the Spirit, the laying on of hands. And so I'm perfectly okay to go, absolutely, I'm, I see this. I experienced that. I know that that's real um, and a part of that. But I think in the context of an order of a church service, the only explanation that we have is 1 Corinthians 14. And it's interesting because Paul doesn't give a lot of instructions for how to conduct church service, but that this makes an entire piece of a chapter is obviously something that was really important. Like you said, that the Holy Spirit wanted to make sure we have even today in his word that doesn't change, you know? Right. Yeah, the... Again, I'll just speak from one uh, personal experience. So, again, we've got I've got family that have this gift. I'm sitting in my house, and I don't know it's around one of the holidays, and I'm watching a game. Okay, I'm literally sitting on my couch, and someone that I know and love is sitting behind me and praying in the spirit while they're doing like a crossword. Like it was just like common. Like this is. And I literally turned around and I said, okay, I don't have this gift. So help me understand. Do you know what you're praying right now? Mm, and, interesting. and they said, no, the, I don't know what I'm praying. And it, it comes back to almost what Paul says right here. Like Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So it is a recognition that my spirit is praying something, but in my mind, I don't know what what my spirit is praying or what the spirit is praying through me. And so he's just sitting there praying in tongues, but in his own mind, he, he can't formulate sentences to go with what the prayers are. So... That's why in verse 13, it says, for this reason, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that they may interpret what they say. Mm. Like they, the one who's praying in tongues ought to pray that I can interpret what I'm saying. Like even the person who's praying may not know what they're praying. And so he says that person ought to pray that they can interpret what they're saying because I'm just saying these things and the spirit is praying and that's real. That is a real prayer that the Spirit is praying to the Father through whatever sounds are coming out of my mouth. But in my own mind, I don't know what I'm what I'm praying. So, in a corporate environment, that's wholly unhelpful, is what Paul says. Yeah. Sitting in my living room, there's spiritual warfare happening, and 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 God's using that moment to pray for something or someone through the Spirit, through this person, and they don't even understand how, what they're saying. So, again, that's that's great 
again, there is a corporate expression of these things and there is a private expression specifically of the the speaking in tongues. Um, And we are open to it. I, for years, have prayed for that gift. I've prayed that Mm -hmm. God would grant me that, and he has not uh, up until this point. It doesn't mean that I don't think it exists. I wouldn't pray for it if I didn't think it existed. Um, But it hasn't been gifted to me. I have good friends that I'm a, I am know they speak in tongues. And yeah. I'm all for it, and they've shared it with me, and I believe them wholeheartedly, and yeah. I say, pray extra for me. Yeah. Like, if you're praying for people, mm-hmm. and you're in that, and it's a, you're, I don't know if you're closer, I don't, you know. <laughs> However that works, get I a, want it. Get Whatever it is. Too, right? Like, my bet. <laughs> it, like, but I'm with you. Like, man, wholeheartedly believe it, and um, know that God uses it in a way to edify. And ultimately, like I always look at Paul and Ghost, it is also for someone who does not believe. It yes. has an incre- it's a sign. Yeah. A miraculous sign that, wait a minute, this God is real? Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, tell me more. I, I, like, if you have that as your beginning part, you, in those maybe seasons of difficulty, you would be able to look back and go, oh, no, man, I've experienced something. Yeah. Something so grand and yeah. great. I have to believe it. And again, I think this goes back to kind of where we landed the plane this week. We all have heard stories of God doing these things where the gospel is taking new ground. And again, I just don't, I'm praying for that, but I'm not putting myself in a position where me speaking in tongues would actually be edifying or useful for the kingdom. It would be useful for me. Sure. Yeah. But I don't I've not put myself in a position yet whereby that would be actually useful for the kingdom. It would build me up and make me feel good, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it would actually make the church better off. Um yeah. and so again, I just think we have to be careful one saying they don't exist because we all we all believe they do. Yeah. But we also have to be really careful to saying they have to be. They are mandated for believers. Both of those are really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. All right. Do you guys have anything else before we wrap up here? No, just encourage people. Again, the Spirit is your guide. The Spirit is your teacher. You don't need anybody to teach you. The Spirit is your teacher. Open up your Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Read through it slowly and just ask the Spirit to reveal to you and let it speak for itself. Let Mm -hmm. the Spirit use His words to teach you about what He's saying with as much uh, distance between your own expectations and experiences as possible. Set those things aside and just let the Spirit speak through His Word. And do not division. He is Definitely not a God not who is about bringing division. And so I, I, I didn't sense that. I, I felt like, man, you saying that was so important because this is such a dividing topic. I think we as a church, um, and I think it came from you, just humbly going, hey, Let's lean in here. But, man, I, we're not trying to divide us. Yep. In fact, we actually love that we are so diverse. That is a that is a beauty of what our church is. That's why we said that in the beginning. Yep. We called that out because we can come together and be unified. I mean, that's why the Christian church started, right? The restoration mm-hmm. movement was in this beauty is love and unity. And so if, if it is this thing that divides us, that's not the spirit of God that you've been given. Right. You've yeah. got a spirit of flesh that you've been given. So 
And you should watch out. There's some strong warnings to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Well, uh, we will wrap up this series this upcoming Sunday with the last, uh, last message in the series. So we look forward to seeing you all then. 